2: With a new podcast every day of the Premier
1: League season, this is Football Social Daily.
3: It's the morning after the night before, and I'm not talking about the Sports Social Work Party last night. Although Burnley fans might have had a few celebratory drinks last night after beating Southampton 2-0 in the Premier League. Their first home game without Sean Dyche for nine and a half years, and it resulted in three points. We'll look at that top flight result on today's show, as well as the news that Manchester United have filled their managerial vacancy for next season. As expected, Ajax boss Eric Tenag will touch down at Old Trafford in the summer. Will he be a success? And how do the fans feel about his appointment? We'll get the opinion of someone who lives and breathes United for their opinion very shortly. Plus, with a month to go of the season, the chance of rumours are beginning to heat up again. Is Declan Rice set for a big money move out of London this summer? That's just one of the headlines on today's back pages. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast with a new episode each and every day of the campaign. My name's Niall and I'll level with you, I'll be honest, I had a few beers last night and a few wines and vodkas, <laughs> and equally as guilty, a Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson joining us on the show today. <laughs> Morning fellas. Morning. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm, I was a model professional last night, so yeah. M- more like a modello professional <laughs> with the amount of beers you sang last night. <laughs> that bucket of beer went down very quickly. Hey, if, if anything's free, I'm all over it. Like a, like a trump on <laughs> chips. I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, well, we go from three to three because three points is what Burnley picked up last night against Southampton. We'll come on to that shortly. But the big news from yesterday doesn't come from that game. It comes from Old Trafford. As Manchester United have appointed Eric Ten Hag as their new manager, he'll arrive from Ajax in the summer. And to talk about it, we're joined by Jay Motti from the brilliant fan channel Stretford Paddock, which you can find on YouTube and social media. And of course, the podcast is on the sports social podcast network
0: morning jay how you doing mate i'm all right i'm i'm worried about you lads though you're all a bit delicate do you want me to keep (laughs) my my volumes down i don't want to shout too loud
3: no 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 you can do as much talking as you want jay honestly (laughs) i promise you that um (laughs) yesterday eric was announced um we've known about this for a little while it was made official what are your initial reactions mate are you happy
0: yeah, I mean, like you say, we've known about it for a little while. I don't think it caught anyone by surprise. Um, and we've all had a chance to, to sort of brush up on him and look about what, what you know, his record and, and the style of football that he plays. And he seems to be the, the, the logical choice. He's had a lot of success at Ajax. And, you know, I've, I've spoke to a few people and they're a bit dismissive. They go, oh, well, it's Ajax. It's, it's, it's a Dutch league. And I think you need to remember, you know, Ajax had gone a few years about winning a title before he got there. He's won, you know, several. He's won, I think he's won two titles. He's on for a third, won a couple of cups as well. Obviously, had some decent Champions League runs and plays football the right way. So, it does seem like it's a good decision by the club. Also, I'm impressed with the fact that he's built a team, lost several players, the likes of Ziyech and Dilit. De Jong and Van der Beek of course and then rebuilt it again and had success so he knows how to move players around he knows how to rebuild he knows how to play football the right way he has won things it just remains to be seen how successful he can be at United because he's going from a well-oiled machine to an absolute shambles let's not kid ourselves United have been a mess for you know since Fergie retired now it looks like the club are making the right moves in terms of you know keeping on Ralph Radnick as a consultant having the likes of Darren Fletcher involved for example But the structure at United over the last few years has been a mess. And if he's coming into that and he's having to deal with that, as well as a whole host of players who are out of contracts, he's got his work cut out. There's no mistake about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're right using the word rebuild. I think everyone, whether you're a United fan or not, can see that work needs to be done in reconstructing Manchester United and bringing them back to where they feel they should be. And you mentioned that rebuild and what Eric Ten Hag's credentials are. What do you think are the most important things that he needs to be a success at Manchester United? For me...
0: It's time and some transfer windows. Is that something the fans agree with as well? Yeah, I mean, he definitely needs time. Listen, you've seen it this season. You've seen that. We finished second last season, but this season we've had a reminder of how far away we are, the results against the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, the points gap as well, the fact that we have struggled, not even against those teams, against some of the so-called lesser teams as well. There's a massive job on 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 the, on the his hands here for Eric Ten Hag, and I think the, pan, the fans appreciate that. I think we know it's not going to take, as you just said there, one transfer window and everything's rosy. He also needs the owners and, and the, the money men and the, the bankers who been involved in the club as well, to get out of his way, let him coach the team, let him have a say in the transfers, not being forced to make deals or transfers forced upon him, which is the the kind of impression you get with some managers in the past at Manchester United. And I think as well, he needs to be able to sort of bring through the younger players that he wants. I mean, the key element, you named it, is time. A bit of time and a bit of patience, because there's no quick fix here at Manchester United. It's going to take a little while, but I feel like, from what I've seen, I don't know loads about it, I'm not going to pretend I do, but from what I've seen and what he's done at Ajax and the reputation he's got, if you give him time, if you give him the right back in, then he will have success. It's just that's what he needs at Manchester United, a bit of time and patience.
3: Does this feel different to the previous four appointments post Sir Alex Ferguson, Jay, in terms of your personal perspective, you've been on the terraces of of Old Trafford for years and years. You've seen the success, you've seen the dips uh, and all of the trophies and and all of the low moments that have gone along with that ride. Because you mentioned a previous Manchester United manager, um, I mean, Jose Mourinho would be the prime example where he was always kind of complaining that he never got his first choice signings and stuff like that. And the reports in the papers today are that United um, might be willing to bring in uh, Steve McLaren to assist uh, Eric Tenag. But there's also a report saying that United have vetoed that decision. Is it a case of whoever Eric Tenag wants, just get them and stop asking questions and just let the man get on with his job? Is that, is that the feeling?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's two parts of that. You said, you know, is, is it a case of just backing him and letting him bring in who he wants? Yeah, 100%. I think a manager should be able to bring in who they want. They should be able to have the right backroom staff. That's essential. There's always this sort of feeling that, I don't know how true it is, but that once Jose Mourinho lost Rui Faria, the summit changed a little bit with him. It wasn't quite as happy. There's also the, the the feeling that perhaps David Moyes didn't have the right backroom staff as well as, as the, 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 the issues he had himself. In terms of... Does this feel different? I think the reason this feels different, very at is I think all the managers we've had post Alex Ferguson, there's been a, a sort of a flaw or something that worries you a little bit with him. David Moyes, he hadn't won anything. He'd had this long spell at Everton, I think ten years, where he'd been stable, if a bit uninspiring, and then he comes into Manchester United, succeeding Sir Alex Ferguson, literally the biggest job in football. It's just, you know, I know hindsight's a good thing, but I think a lot of fans at the time were like, this is a bit of a gamble. You look at Louis van Gaal, great manager, but his best time was probably two decades earlier. That was when he was most successful at Ajax winning Champions Leagues and and titles and and stuff like that. So you think, okay, he's a good manager, but is he somewhat on his decline? Jose Mourinho, again, fantastic manager, but he'd just been sacked off Chelsea. He'd had the worst title defence since David Moyes. It was like, he felt like there was something that was slightly unravelling, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a club legend, we love him as a player, but he always got that job on the back of his caretaker role. And when you looked at his CV, a couple of titles at Mulder in Norway, yep, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But it did feel a bit like, you know, the, the, the sort of criticism of him was, has he got the pedigree to be a manager of Manchester United? When you look at Ten Hag, I know he's not a spring chicken, you know, he's not saying he's very old, but he's not. Like, he's 52, is he? But he feels like a manager who's on the up. He's progressing, He's, his star is rising, whereas all the managers I've mentioned, it didn't feel like that when it came to Manchester United. They are either slightly in decline or somewhat unproven at this level.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought someone wrote in a newspaper yesterday what they said was was spot on. You know, Ten Hag's rise is being measured and not meteoric. And I think that's a really good way to describe his managerial career. At the moment, we don't know where Manchester United will finish in the Premier League this season. Jay, they could finish fourth and get into the Champions League. Remarkably, that's still a possibility. Big game against Arsenal on Saturday, of course. I've heard you say and other United fans say on this podcast even that you wouldn't be um, too bothered if you finished eighth and you were out of Europe entirely to give Eric Tenag a good opportunity next season to build. What represents a good season for United next term? I mean, nobody, I think, is realistically suggesting that you're going to challenge for the Premier League title. But at the same time, if United are 16th or 17th, there's going to be a few questions, understandably. So for you, what do you think will be deemed acceptable for next season for, for United supporters?
0: Well, like you said, I can only speak for myself. I think progress is the key word. He's got a big job on his hand. If I can see him sort of moving the club forward, moving the team forward, bringing in the right players, then I'll accept that. I think in terms of top, um, you know where we finish in the league and, and trophies-wise, I'd want to see us challenging for Silverware. I don't think you can come into Manchester United and go, well, there are shambles, there are mess, so don't expect me to, to, to even remotely challenge for a, a cup. I think we, we have to still be able to turn up in games and, and try and you know try and get a bit of silverware I'm a spoilt United fan I'm in my 40s so I've seen us win a lot I get we're not at that stage anymore, but it's been five years without a trophy now. And for a club that's spent a billion quid since Alex Ferguson retired, that's not good enough. So I don't want to see us challenging for trophies. I don't think we're going to have a title challenge. I'm not under any misconceptions there. But I think if we can see a little bit of progress, if we can see he's moving the players out that need moving out, bringing in the players that we need, also nurturing those youngsters and playing football that's, that's entertaining, then I, I personally will be able to stomach that because, like I've said earlier, we, we understand that the, the task he's, he's got is, is mammoth. And it pains me to say it, and I've said this a few times, but I will point at it. If you look at Jurgen Klopp when he went into Liverpool, he was sort of pretty honest, wasn't he? He didn't come in and go, we're going to win the title this season or next season. He said, it's going to take a few years, but we'll get there. And, and he did. And people could see the, the developments and the progress. You know, they went from losing Europa League finals and League Cup finals to losing a Champions League final, which is, you know, I know it's not great, but it's better. <laughs> and then challenging for a Premier League title, and then winning a Champions League. There was that progress where you could see what he was doing. And I think if we can see what um, Eric ten Hag is doing, and he's honest as well, and people are just sort of accepting of that, then, yeah, I'll be happy with that.
3: Jay, brilliant to talk to you, mate. Eric Tenarg, the new Manchester United manager. Stretford Paddock YouTube channel, more than half a million subscribers now and ticking up every single day. Loads of great content on there, as well as the podcast, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm sure there'll be a lot more Eric Tenarg chat on Stretford Paddock in the future, mate.
0: Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to chatting to you guys. And can I just give another plug as well? Because I'm, I'm, I never stop me. We've got the three points in the, uh, in the Gaff podcast. Yes. It's myself, Pundit Jay and Mike's a City fan. So if there's any City fans listening, check that out as well. Because yeah. you, as you can imagine, there's a lot of arguing that goes on on that one.
3: <laughs> and we get quite a few listeners on this show that aren't from the UK. So if you don't know what a Gaff is, can, Jay, can you just explain that Mancunian slang? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It means all sorts. It means your house, your home, your, your stadium. <laughs> it's just, you know, wherever you lay your hat, that's your Gaff.
3: well Jay's leaving our gaff now great to speak to you mate all the best thanks a lot lads take care Great to hear from Jay Motti from Stretford Paddock. As he said, the three points in the Gaff podcast, as well as the Stretford Paddock Manchester United show, are on the Sports Social Podcast Network and available on all podcast platforms. So if you are a Manchester United fan, go and get some views from other supporters by checking out those two shows. Joel, you're a United fan as well. Jay made some really good points there. What's your reaction to Tenag's appointment as the new Manchester United manager?
4: Yeah, I just echo exactly what he was saying, especially about the pedigree in comparison to all of the other managers that we've had. He just seems to be the only one where he's been hired as a rising star rather than someone who is either on the way down or is still very much unproven. So for me, he's still... he still is a massive risk. I think there's no mistake about that, considering the Dutch league is a very different animal compared to the Premier League, uh, as it would have been with Pochettino. I think anyone coming into the United job is is a massive risk because the pressures are just... Probably, it's probably the most pressured job behind, I would say, the Real Madrid job, in all honesty. So every manager has it all to prove, and especially one that's been in the Dutch league so I don't have expectations which are absolutely sky high in terms of what he should achieve in his first or second season. But it's good progressive steps from the club, which for the last 10 years have been has been completely run like a circus. So it's, it's a step in the right direction. Um, and I just hope that the board continue to back him and don't try and go against what he wishes to happen. Because as we've seen in the last decade, every time they'd go against the manager in terms of transfers, in terms of strategy, it ends up in one direction. So I'm just hoping that it continues and he has the power that has been speculated that he'll have.
3: Marley, you're a neutral in this situation, being a Newcastle United fan. Do you reckon Eric Ten Hag will be a success?
2: Uh, I i don't know really, because he's... I, the one thing I, I, I do have with this whole situation is the fact that Ajax is so different to... To any other club in Europe, in in my opinion, I think they almost exist in their own little bubble. Like the, no club is run like them. You know, they made the switch in I think it was the late '80s or early '90s to to be a sort of self self sustaining club, which when they loot they sell stars at the top of the the top of the game and then replace them with youth. Um, you know, you've seen that with the likes of De Ligt and De Jong in the last couple of years, and and you can go back further than that if you like as well, but. I think um, any manager or or even player that comes out of Ajax needs to know that it's very, very different and nobody gets that um, understanding until they move, until you make that leap. Um, And you've seen that with players. You look at Donny van der Beek and he was one of the best players at at Ajax for for two or three years before he he made the move to Man United and couldn't get a game. And then even at Everton, now he's not getting a game. So I think um, you've got to kind of... uh, you've got to kinda of take that risk to find out what it's like. But be be very aware that it's not the same as as what you're used to. Um, and Ten Hag is, you know, he's obviously done done very well as as uh, as IX manager and he did well before that. I think it's I think it was FC twenty before that. Um but yeah it's it's like I feel like it's the right decision because Pochettino would have always had that thing of like lingering over him, of oh, you never won anything at Spurs, and you've never won anything in your career except, you know, a French League Cup and, and possibly a French title this year if he would if he would have stayed and got announced in the summer type of thing. But um, yeah, I think I think Ten Hag's probably the right decision. To be fair, um, but it is very very different, and there's a hell of a lot of work to be done at Man United. You see, you see the squad, and you don't think. You know, no no Man United player are getting the Liverpool team. No Man United player are getting in the Man City team, and that is that is where they are. So they do need a big rebuild. Um, I think Solskjaer started it when he was there, but Ten Hag has to has to finish the job and and get the results at the end of it when he finishes it. So I have to wait and see what happens. But he's 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 not got a uh, a short to do list. It's a long long um, you know
3: order of business to to crack on with as soon as he gets through the door in the summer Yeah, and even though he's not in the building just yet, work will start, I'm sure, from Saturday. Half-12 kickoff. Manchester United's new manager, Eric Tenag, will arrive in the summer from Ajax. That game against Arsenal, along with a couple of other Premier League fixtures, will be analysed in the Dugout podcast with myself, Matty Fryer, formerly of Hull City and Leicester City, and Trevor Stephen, once of England, Everton and Burnley. What a time it's been for him as an Evertonian and a Burnley fan. Uh, They'll be joining me on the podcast, which will be out later today so hit subscribe and you won't miss that that's the dugout from us here at football social daily and speaking of one of Trevor's former clubs Burnley they were in action last night their first home game without Sean Dyche for nearly 10 years resulted in a 2-0 victory we'll talk about that next on football social daily
2: football social daily
1: subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode
3: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from us at Sports Social. Award winning as well, by the way. If you haven't heard the news, I'm sure you have. We've absolutely banged the drum about it for ages now. Um, we won a podcast award recently. Um, so you're in the right place to get your Premier League news on a daily basis in podcast form. We appreciate your support as ever. Thanks for subscribing to the show if you have done. If you haven't, you can get a new one of these every single day of the season just by hitting that subscribe button or follow or whatever it may be. However you listen to your podcasts. Right, last night in the Premier League, there was a match on Burnley versus Southampton at Turf Moor and the Clarets, in desperate trouble, picked up three points. They beat Saints by two goals to nil, piles the pressure back on Everton, Joel. It's hard to explain just how big that result is for Burnley Football Club, isn't it?
4: That is massive. I think we were discussing yesterday just how on a, on a knife edge this uh, relegation battle is at the moment. I think one aspect to say is that obviously the departure of Sean Dyche was quite distasteful, but if they manage to stay up this season, I think a lot of us will be eating a lot of humble pie because it, we've, everyone's been pretty critical of how they let go of Daesh, didn't have a contingency plan, they didn't know who to bring in. It seemed very off the cuff and not planned out. However, if they do manage to stay up, I think... I think a lot of us owe an apology to the um to the Burnley owners because right now mm. that's what two wins from two. Yeah. Um, I mean it feels uh, Joel, it feels like, for want of a better term, it's or bust. Well, that's the only way it was gonna go, wasn't it? I mean they they had to they had to do something as <laughs> simple yeah, as that. They had isn't to do it? something to change up uh, their form because even though I think I think with Sean Dyche had a bit of a, a false kind of facade about him, which was that, of course, he's been there for 10 years, so everyone respected him for that. However, he wasn't getting the results, especially this season, and it seemed as though he had a free pass because he was there for 10 years. I'm not saying it was the right decision to sack him, but if that was any other manager at any other club... In the form that they were, I mean, Watford. Well, they changed the managers every other week. But um, Norwich, they changed the manager I think in December, November, December time. Um, and then obviously Everton, have they changed their their manager? Burnley are the only team who kind of held the gun until the final stages of the season. And you know, we can't even say it's a new manager bounce because. The manager is uh, Michael Jackson, and I'm not talking about the one who did Thriller, yeah. so um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a good laugh. That was did... good, to be fair, when they announced that he was getting the, the job on a caretaker basis, some of the tweets no, I good. had to blink my eyes a little bit, I had, a, I had good fun doing the, the preview yesterday for that one yeah. as well. Gotta be starting but, something. <laughs> I a few good puns yeah. for that one. Um, but I mean, yeah, MJ's doing a great job so far with, with Burnley. And, uh, <laughs> he's doing a great job so far, two wins from two. And I think we'll all be pretty humbled if, if he manages to, to yeah. pull off um, the miracle. But again, with Everton, it just looks like, it. well, I, I knew it was going to be the case where as soon as they beat Manchester United, they wouldn't win the next game. It just seems as though that game is the game that teams use as the motivational. Game to then get them onto you know a bit of momentum, but it just seems as though it's very stop and start for Lampard's side. So, and with um, I think is it uh, Chelsea and Chelsea and Arsenal next, or Chelsea and Manchester City? I think what Everton you mean, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm not sure. I know Burnley have got Uh, Wolves, they've got. They've got Wolves to come in their next game. So there's an opportunity yeah, for they, points there for them as well. There's some difficult games to come for both of them. But like I, like I mentioned in the last podcast, Burnley, I knew the only way I think for them to stay up is if they ended up doubling their, their wins, which was four. And they're already halfway there. So who knows? But I definitely would not rule them out. Yeah, I
3: mean, it could easily have gone toxic, Marley, if things didn't go their way. The way that Sean Dyche was sacked with not really any respect paid to him on the way out if that makes sense the statement was very uh, cold and calculated it was just like Sean she is gone there wasn't even a thanks for your service or anything like that so with the way that that transpired and the way it shocked the fans things could easily have turned toxic if they didn't get a result or didn't play well last night
2: yeah it could have and uh the, you don't want a toxic Burnley um you don't want the, you don't want the <laughs> fans to uh to come for you when you've you know you've you're just there, sort of in a caretaker caretaker role, but yeah, they they, they desperately needed that win last night. I think it's, I mean, every game for them is the most important game of the season. But in terms of you know games you can you can win, it's Southampton at home. You know, Southampton they don't travel well, they don't, um, they're not a, a sort of hard team to beat. Like if if you get on top, I, I feel like they very rarely come back and sort of um, and have a bit of fight about them so once you get that first goal i think that's that's the key and you know burnley midweek is just a different proposition because burnley at the weekend are pretty crap but um burnley midweek on a, a cold tuesday wednesday or thursday night <laughs> you know that's 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 where they they thrive i think i don't know what they uh i think they've won five games this season and off the top of my head i think at least two or three have been in midweek it's it's mad so uh i think burnley need to uh Hope they can have a few more midweek fixtures and and carry on winning them because they needed to win that last night. They they did well. They, they I think they had a slightly more possession than they, they would normally against a team that's you know half decent in possession as like Southampton. Um, I think that I think it was forty six percent when I looked at the stats before, but.
3: Um, Man, what are you doing looking at stats this morning? Honestly, I mean, I think we've ju- leveled just it out that there's no chance we were watching this game last night because we went out, but <laughs> we've done quite a good job talking about it. <laughs> to be
2: absolutely fair, I didn't even know the result until we started this. So <laughs> <laughs> we started this podcast, but I was, I was watching the highlights when uh, when we were talking to Jay before, and I was, you know, it's it typical Burnley. You know, they, they scored a. The yeah. first goal was decent, but the second goal was Burnley all over. You know, yeah, a, a towering header from a centre back at a corner is mm. is Burnley through and through. So, you know, they needed that, and that's I think they are they one point behind um, Everton. Everton yeah. Everton, but now Everton, Everton played, played the game more. Yeah, yeah,
3: Everton have a game in hand, and obviously Everton have got Liverpool on Sunday, which they're not going to win. Yeah. You'd expect them not to win that. I, mean, I think that's understandable. So yeah, um, yeah, certainly a massive boost for Burnley. And I mean, the goals they scored individually were were quite good. You know, the first goal was a really good finish left footed into the side netting, great strike. And then the header is, as you say, typical Burnley Marley. So it feels like with the quality they've got in the squad or lack thereof, that's what it's going to take to keep them up moments like that. They just need to keep producing those small moments of quality as, as hard as it might be, because they're probably lacking in that department. Really, when you look at their squad, and shape it up against everyone else's but it you know they're up against it and they're going to need that sort of that sort of those sorts of moments to keep them to keep them up
2: yeah they are um they need they could have, they could do with uh, the starting to to score a couple more um because you can't you can't rely on on center backs and, and full backs scoring uh, scoring goals to win your games but you know um yeah i mean the, the times running out i think there's is six games to go for them um so you know, you, you need to like, like you said before, you know, do do one or I'll get off the pot type of thing. So it's um it's coming down to it now for for Burnley, but you know, they've made the big choice. They've made the big decision in in their in their season, which is uh sacking Sean Dyche. and you know, they it there needs to be a reaction to that, I think. You know what? I almost think are they best leaving leaving the manager's position to the end of the season? Um because of the or because of a few things to be fair but mainly because they've they've won in the short term but also if you're going to bring in another manager he's going to, he's going to have his ways of doing things and they're not going to be burnley's way so there's going to have to be a period of of adaptation and in the six games that you've got have you got that that cushion to to let a new manager adapt because i i'm not sure you have um i don't think you know, if you bring in Chris Wilder, Chris Wilder had a like just speaking on uh, on what the bookies are saying about who's the favourite. Chris Wilder mm. played mainly possession based football at Sheffield United. And that is gonna take I'd argue that it'd take at least six weeks to to yeah. start to see the, the sort of you know, um the, the results of, mm. of his training methods and stuff like that. And Burnley don't have that. So yeah. you know almost getting rid of Deitch and, and keeping, you know, Michael, J- Mike, Mike Jackson, um, uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson, Mike Jackson, whatever it is, um, keeping him as, as a thing, because he knows how they used to play and he knows, you know, he's, he's a fresh enough faced for the owners to, to say, you know, well, this guy's new sort of thing. Is it, yeah. I almost think it's best to just keep him and, uh, and, and see what he does because you've almost signed your own death warrant by, by, Sacking him and and then getting a new manager in who 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 you know wants to make them play possession based football it's just, it's not going to work in the in the six weeks you've got so give it to Michael Jackson and hope the rest of the season's
3: a thriller <laughs> give it Jacko till the end of the season <laughs> yeah Burnley moonwalked their way to three points yesterday whilst uh, Southampton were bad job I did there yeah, that was a pretty good one but, yeah. um you know we were talking yesterday Joel that Southampton could finish. In the top 10 potentially got some decent fixtures on the running but they do this a lot don't they and I'm not just saying this from a Pompey fans perspective but they'll go and play well and they'll beat Tottenham when they were up against it and they'll go and pull a result out of nowhere and beat one of the better sides in the league and then they'll go and lose 6-0 or they'll get beaten by Burnley and, and you know they play well for a while then they lose and, and that seems to have been something that has haunted Ralph Harzenhurtle ever since he took the job you know he's done a decent job at Southampton. I think everyone can respect that he's he's quite a good manager. But they've lost nine nil a few times. They've lost six nil. They've lost to Burnley. They they'll go and win a few games, and then when they lose, they're rubbish.
4: Yeah, they're very very inconsistent. Um, like you mentioned, they're a team who's conceded nine goals in the space of two seasons. In you know, I think it was against Leicester, and obviously the Manchester United game. That's totally unheard of in the Premier League. And it just seems it's very strange how for example last week they managed to get an amazing result against arsenal um away from home as well and then you know the pre, the the week prior they ended up losing 6-0 to chelsea and now they go away to burnley and they they lose 2-0 it's i don't i really don't know what's going on behind the scenes there in terms of the defense in terms of the the strategy before games it's it's very it's very unpredictable that's the best way to describe it and it seems as though, for example, they do very well in terms of their recruitment for the forward line. Uh, a, a great example is Armando Broja, which has been, he'll, he'll end up getting an amazing move in the summer. I really like the look of him. Um, and then obviously prior to that, you had Danny Ings, who the season he left scored, I think, 19 Premier League goals. So, in that end of the pitch they do they're doing really well. It's the defense which seems to be just completely capitulating and It's not like they have bad plays there either um you know, Carl Walker Peters is one who got an England call up not long ago, so I just don't understand what the why where the inconsistencies are coming from, but you have to definitely, like you say, give credit to the fact that he's making Southampton a very established Premier League club still uh the thirteenth in the league. Although the the month of March was a month which was one to forget. I think they lost every single game that month. They got knocked out of the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Even still, they're still there and they're safe in the Premier League. And I think for a club like that, that's all you can ask for unless, you know, the owners wanna start dipping their hands in the pockets because next season they're gonna be without Broja and they're gonna to have to find a massive transfer which can fill the void of not only him but of Danny Ings' goals that they've lost so next season could be a a very testing season for them if they don't fill that area.
3: Burnley 2 Southampton 0 final score in the Premier League last night as Marley mentioned earlier Burnley still 18th and in the bottom three looking like they're going to go down back to the championship after six or seven years in the top flight they are just one point off of Everton however they do have a worse goal difference and Everton do have a game in hand but the Toffees next match is this weekend against Liverpool. That game and some of the other fixtures previewed on the dugout, which will be out later. But next, on today's edition of Football Social Daily, we'll be talking about transfers because it's that time of the season again. The room meal is firing up and we'll talk about those next after this. Football
2: Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
1: How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy
3: Welcome back. Final part of today's Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your daily Premier League podcast. Now, we're approaching the end of the season. There's only a month to go. And so the back pages are full of transfer rumours and a lot of them, as you'd expect, dominated by Manchester United speculation and stories. They've got a new manager. And as such, people are trying to join the dots and figure out who Manchester United could sign uh, under Eric Tenag for next season. The first one, though, is a potential outgoing. And I think we'll see a few of those at Old Trafford this summer. That's for sure. Allegedly, according to Sport, the Spanish newspaper, Barcelona want Marcus Rashford, who's had a poor season at Old Trafford, it has to be said. And with a summer of change expected at Old Trafford, Marley, would it still be a bit of a shock to see someone like Rashford, who's played more than 200 games now for Manchester United, leave the club?
2: Is that how long it's been? 200 games? Wow. Jesus. Um, Mm. It doesn't doesn't seem like five minutes ago since he was making his debut against uh, Mitchell in the... Was it the Champions yeah. League or the Europa League? I can't remember, but um, Yeah, Louis Van Gaal gave him his debut, yeah. You're right. Yeah, and that's well Van Gaal <laughs> Van Gaal will always say, Oh, I give him his debut, but he he was forced into it to be fair. He was he had no yeah. other strikers. Um mm. But yeah, I think if he left, I I think it's um I think it's weird because if you're if you've got a new manager, it's strange to leave at you know, as a new manager comes in, you're leaving. I think that's that's strange because you don't know what he's gonna, what he's gonna like, what he's gonna, um, you know, who he's gonna prefer. Excuse me, uh, prefer in the, um, in the the system he plays and what have you. You know, I think if you look at Ten Hag coming in, he he plays four three three. Rashford would probably fancy his chances of of getting in the front three on that left side, opposite to, uh, you know, opposite Sancho on the right, and you know, he'd probably be eyeing himself up for that. That space on the left-hand side. So, I think leaving now, when you know a manager's coming in in the summer, is doesn't really make much sense to me. So, I can see this just being paper talk because his his form's not been amazing, um, and he's he's sort of you know he's had a lot on his plate for the last uh, eighteen months, two years, sort of thing. So, he's come off the uh, come off the back of that shoulder. I think did he have shoulder surgery in the, at the end of last season? Um, And then he's had kept him out. Yeah. yeah.
3: Till October. So his first game of the season was in mid-October. I
2: think Yeah. It's, you know, it's, there's been that. And then there's been, you know, the, 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 the stuff in his, in his personal life, which is, you know, very different to what anyone else has been sort of battling for the last few years. So, um, yeah, I, I would. I think he just needs a fresh start. To be fair, you you look at Rashford and think, you know, there's obviously talent there. We've we've seen it with, you know, he he was England uh, in the England's got it like 18 or 17, 18, whatever he was. So there's clearly talent there. It just needs to be. I think it just needs an arm around him, the right arm around him to to sort of um, unlock it a little bit more. And and Tanag will will know this, and he'll he'll have done his research when he comes in. So. I feel like it's, he'll stay and uh, I, I can't really, I can't picture him in another shirt to be fair, um, whether that's, you know, anyone really, I can't see him in my, in anything other than a Man United shirt.
3: I would agree with that and I think with the way things are looking up front for Manchester United with uh, Mason Greenwood obviously uh, understandably not playing at the moment, Cristiano Ronaldo on the sort of tail end of his career. Edinson Cavani on the move in the summer. Martial on loan at Severe and probably won't stay at Manchester United. They, they do need forward options. And Rashford, even though he's having a bad season, everyone knows it. Everyone can see it. He's still a good player. And as Marley says, maybe the introduction of Ten Hag might make a difference to his form next season but the reports from Sports the Spanish paper are that Barcelona are interested in Rashford's services we're going to stay with Manchester United because as we mentioned before lots of rumours about them and their possible recruitment in the summer one of whom is Declan Rice the West Ham United captain still in his early 20s an England international an England starter a very very good player Declan Rice we know that and according to the Guardian Joel Eric Tenag wants Rice as one of his new summer signings at Manchester United should the powers that be at Old Trafford go big to get Rice out of West Ham they desperately need a central midfielder West Ham desperately want to keep him but it's probably going to cost 100 million is it something that United should do in your opinion?
4: Yes but not for that price Um, I think United need to learn from the past mistakes of overspending especially for I'm not saying overrated because he's a great player but overpriced English players put it that way I mean, Harry Maguire, eighty million. This is the reason why he gets so much criticism because of his price tag. But the reality is, he's not an eighty million pound player, and that's the kind of the sword he has to fall on every single time because he isn't that. He isn't that player. It's not his fault, is it? It's not his fault. Yeah, it's not Mm. his fault at all. And this is the problem: price tags will always be with players, regardless of their quality. So when you know it happens to everyone, Paul Pogba, ninety million, Lukaku, one hundred million. If these players cost half they would get half the amount of pressure. It's just the fact that everyone it has great expectations with great price tags and with Declan Rice, he is a great player, like one of the best holding midfielders in the league by far. However, a hundred million would just be a ridiculous amount to spend. When I feel as though there's just so many more better options and more sensible options for half the price, uh, one being many from Monaco, who I think is a great player, but it seems as though he's on his way to Madrid. There's there's countless options, and I just don't think for the for the situation that United are in at the moment, where we might end up not getting into the Champions League as well. Blowing half your transfer budget on Declan Rice, who I don't think is going to be the per- the person who changes the team dramatically. Don't get me wrong, a midfielder is desperately needed, but I feel as though the funds need to be spread in a bit more of a sensible way. And a hundred million is just that's like that's a hundred that that kind of transfer transfer was a transfer that Ed Woodward would have done, and that's what we need to not do. So I think going forward, I don't think it'll be a player or less is a cheaper price
3: i get what you're saying joel i totally get what you're saying that there are probably options as good as rice or close to being the level of rice available for a, a much smaller fee but we've often said about manchester united marley that there is a lack of leadership there you don't look at that starting 11 whoever it may be that rangnick nick puts that puts out this season and think you're a natural leader you're someone who can sort of uh, lift the side up and command them and drive them on to success. However, Declan Rice has proven that he is a leader and obviously we know that West Ham will want a lot of money for him, but is part of the signing of Rice not just his ability on the ball and what he brings on the football pitch in terms of technical skill, but also the leadership element of it? Because... Joel's right, Chouameni is a, an excellent player for Monaco and I'm sure would improve Manchester United. The same as, uh, for instance, Yuri Telemos at Leicester is a very good player and will probably improve a Manchester United midfield if they buy someone like him. But when you buy Declan Rice, you also get that leadership element, which is something that United have been severely lacking on the surface.
2: Yeah, yeah, you do. um he is he has got that mentality hasn't he you know we've we've seen it from from an early age as, as soon as he came into the team really you know two probably two years ago is it now so he's always had that um that mentality of uh, of you know leadership and and you know leading from the front type of thing and, and not not hiding away you know he, he, he speaks well and he he sort of on the pitch, you know, he's he's the one, you know, giving out instructions and and g'ing up his his teammates type of thing. So, I do think he's uh, he's he's sort of a double edged sword when it comes to if he signs for someone because you you do get both those things. But I think um, I would I would kind of question whether he could be that leader at Man United um, just because of the amount of the amount of egos, the amount of wages flying around that dressing room. Could you? you know, are they going to react to, to a a 23, 24 year old coming in and, and, uh, you know, telling them what to do and, you know, you know, demanding more from them and, and and that kind of thing. So I would, I think he's at the right club in terms of his leadership because West Ham weren't that good before he, uh, when he came in, they were, they were sort of bottom half comfortably, um, and sort of. Trying to stay as far away from the relegation zone as he could, and now they've got a hundred million pound rated midfielder in in uh, in midfield, and you know he's the 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 crown in the jewel, uh, sorry, the, the jewel in the crown, um, <laughs> and he's you know at, he's he's a mint player. I can't see him going to Man United this summer because I can't see him anywhere other than Chelsea in my head. To be fair. Because um, he's a, yeah. a London boy and he he was at he was at Chelsea as a as a 10, 11, yeah. 12
3: year old whatever it was. But his uh, his best mate's Declan. His best Ma- mate's not himself. Mount. His best mate is Mason Mount. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um. And it's yeah. It's one of those where. um I'm not. I mean, he's he's never lived up north, has he? It's 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 a big move for a 23, 24 year old. You know, it, it's it's all that you've got to think of. You know, you're taking him away from his family. You you know, you're going to a new club where there's where there's work to be done. There's a, a there's a transitional period coming for Man United. You know, is is a hundred million pound on him um, worth it? I'm, I, as good a player as he is, I think the money can be spent better. On someone that does what Rice does, maybe not to the level of, of Rice does, but someone, you know, someone's out there who can who can do what mm-hmm. you need to do. Um, and his name's probably Ruben Neves,
3: <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, well, yeah, he's Neves, he's a very good player. I mean, there's there's options there for Manchester United, no doubt about it. And you speak about moving up north. I was a similar age to Declan Rice's now when I moved to Manchester and uh, I'm... St- just about used to the rain. <laughs> Saying that, it's a very nice day today in Manchester, it has to be said. Uh, talking of £100 million players and talking of Chelsea, Lukaku has been an issue for Thomas Tuchel this season. He's really not performed. 97.5 million, so just a jot under 100 mil they paid for him in the summer. They bought him from Inter Milan, and it looks like he could be on his way back to Milan if goals report is to be believed. AC uh, Milan are allegedly in for him. Um, this summer according to the online publication it's hard to tell what's going to happen at Chelsea this summer Joel with so much uncertainty Marley says that you could see Declan Rice ending up there we don't know who the owner is going to be next season of Chelsea We we don't know what the situation is with transfers we don't even know if they're allowed to sell season tickets yet obviously this Sort of Not embargo, but this uh, licence that they're operating under expires on the 31st of May. So maybe by the start of the transfer window, we'll have a little bit of a a greater idea of what the situation is at Chelsea. But according to this report from Goal, Lukaku could be on his way to AC Milan. Um, Is that a move you think Chelsea fans will welcome? Do you think they'll be able to recoup much of a fee for him? How do you see the situation?
4: I think Lukaku's fell victim to that grass is always greener syndrome where in Milan, (laughs) I don't know if if people have seen it, but he had murals around Milan of him. And for an Italian club and Italian fans to do that for someone, that means Mm -hmm. you are like godlike status in that city. When you go to Naples, you'll see Diego Maradona everywhere on the streets. Or if you go to Rome, you'll see Francesco Totti everywhere on the streets. Lukaku was edging towards that status, not in terms of, you know, how long he'd been there, because he's only been there for a, a couple of seasons, but he brought the scudetto back to Milan after a decade. And for a striker to do that and then leave, and now he feels zero love at Chelsea, obviously he did that really dramatic interview with the Italian media, and that that was literally the writing on the wall for me. After that, it's never been the same. Even when he did his uh, apology apology video for the Chelsea fans it was absolutely forced and fake it was the the club literally forcing him to say please can you draw a line in the sand and you could tell he didn't want to do that because he's gone to a club now and I think it was very predictable before he went where he's gone back to the Premier League we know for Manchester United he wasn't effective at all he didn't suit the style of play and again at Chelsea it's been the exact same thing and I don't know if it's the fault of Thomas Tuchel thinking that he could slot into the system he wants to play or I know what
3: you're saying right but Manchester United Lukaku wasn't bad right I know he didn't score in the big games but his record was like one in two at Manchester United I think he scored what was it 40 goals in 80 games or something like that I mean it's he's got a decent record at Manchester United so I think the difference now is Joel he's not scoring any goals at Chelsea he's had plenty of opportunity to do so you know he had an opportunity against was it Crystal Palace the other day and he hit the post from about four yards out when yeah, he had he... an open goal and it's like at Manchester United he, he it obviously wasn't working and you can understand why Lukaku got sold. I totally understand that but his goal record was there. He was scoring goals at Manchester United. There were just other factors why it didn't work. For Chelsea he's not finding the net at all. So not only have you got the fact that it's probably not working system wise you've also got a player who isn't scoring that cost you nearly 100 million quid. So
4: there's a problem there he just he just can't score at the moment yeah totally don't dispute he did he did he scored a decent amount of United but that's not enough he mm. shot he hid away in the big games and he wasn't a, a striker who was going to win us the league that's okay for a, a team who's you know maybe outside the top six and he scores enough but to get us towards the big titles which is what Chelsea want which is what United want he was never the player And for me at Inter Milan, he was the guy, he was the focal point. The way in which Antonio Conte plays is absolutely surrounded by that striker up front. As we've seen with Harry Kane, I feel like he's going to go up a level if he stays at Tottenham and he's starting to get into his groove again because every striker that plays under Conte, he ends up going up a level. We saw it Diego Costa as well at Chelsea. Um, they They go up a level in terms of their ability or Eden Hazard. And for me, into Milan, he was just the focal point. At Chelsea, it just doesn't feel the case anymore. And again, with Chelsea, it's the fact that they have so many teams pinned back, and he's not the striker who can you know running behind because teams sit back against Chelsea. And I just I think Chelsea need a striker who's a little bit more technical on the ball, um, someone who can get involved with the build, up play that kind of that kind of thing. And I just feel as though with um with the way in which chelsea operate under thomas tuchel it just doesn't fit and again like you say it would be okay if he started scoring because then it would mask his performances but when the striker isn't scoring anything and it seems to be the case with many chelsea strikers there seems to be some kind of voodoo curse on the on the forward line there i don't know why it never works it's very rare um, it just doesn't seem to work out for them. But I 100% believe he'll be going in the summer. And like you just mentioned at the start, the uncertainty around Chelsea um, in terms of the ownership is is placing the club in like a no-man's land. They don't know whether to stay or go. A lot of the players who are about to come to the end of their contracts, I think they're waiting to see what the situation is in terms of ownership and players who are going to leave. So it's a very weird situation for them. Uh, but I definitely believe that I think it's best for both parties, to be honest, Mm -hmm. if Lukaku goes. I've just done some research while you were talking
3: there, Joel. Apparently, Marley, Lukaku scored 27 goals in his first season at Manchester United. But it's funny how he isn't remembered uh, very fondly at Old Trafford. And like we've already mentioned, and Joel said, you can understand the reasons why that's the case. Does he leave Chelsea in the summer, in your opinion? Should he leave Chelsea? Because... I'm reluctant to write Lukaku off because we did this when he left Manchester United and then he went to Inter, won them the league, scored a shed load of goals. Um, You know, he's got more than 100 Premier League goals, scores for Belgium all the time. He's still a very good player and what's he, 28 years of age? So Chelsea know that there's, there's a formula there that they need to strike. So is it a case of letting Lukaku leave and allowing the manager to play the system he wants or... Build a team around Lukaku. I mean, what's the what's the process? Do you think he should go? Um, I, I think he should. I think he probably should go. To be fair, I think there is
2: there's obviously a player there, but it's kind of strange that we we like he can he can almost be remembered as, as a bit of a flop, even though he scored over 100 Premier League goals, and that that's, that's a, a very weird situation to 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 sit there. But there there's more to football than, than just goals. Um, he scored, you know, one in two at Man United. But the the criticism at, at Man United was he's 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 not good enough in in the build up phase of the game, and he doesn't score against uh, the top the top six teams. He, he sort of almost stat pads against you know your, your Watfords, your Fulhams, your Norwiches, and he'll score two or three there, and that that's great. You know you need strikers that will do that. But you look at someone like Harry Kane, and and they're in the. For for a kind of similar fee, um, a, a similar transfer value, you get so much more from someone like Kane who, who can play in, you know, pro- he can probably play in any system to be honest because of his his, his passing and his link up is, is way better than, than someone like Lukaku who, you know, lacks the, the technical ability to, to form himself into another type of striker and... Um, but if look if if I think if Inter or AC came in and they had the money to, to take him and they they bidded you know 65, 70 million, I think you could you could write off that that thirty million pound loss as as just you know bad business and and Chelsea need to need to get someone who took rates because you see him in the biggest games you know you see him against Real Madrid and Lukaku did not start either of those legs and he, he ended up starting Havertz Pulisic um and and mount up front I think it was. Um and that just proves everything. Like how many ninety seven million pound strikers don't play in the biggest game of, of Chelsea season. It's that's how much he's fallen from from grace type of thing and that's how, how out of um favour he is with, with Tuchel. So if if you're the Chelsea owners or Chelsea chairman or whoever makes the decisions there, you need to say to Tuchel like, okay, what are we gonna do with him? Because we either sell him now or and, and try and get as much money back before he sort of creeps towards 30 and and his value you know plummets a little bit more or do we uh do we stick with him and, and try and build the team around him because it's uh, it's a big decision to be fair because Chelsea need to get it right because they you know the the gap is widening between them and, and Liverpool and Man City um so they need to be in that conversation and and I think Lukaku's future is probably central to that other than Other than the the sort of defensive
3: problems they've got coming up this summer, I think this is the the biggest thing about Chelsea, what they need to do. Well, Lukaku on the back page is allegedly in with a chance of moving to AC Milan. Right, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Well done, lads. We got through that in the end. We managed to. Um, Now, as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to grab a pint of water and just sit down (laughs) and relax. I think we need it. Uh, Great to speak to you both. Uh, the lads will be back on next week's editions of Football Social Daily on a Friday night slash Saturday you can catch up with the dugout which is our Premier League preview show featuring former top flight professionals Matty Fryer and Trevor Stephen on this week's edition of the show Fryer a goal machine for Hull City and Leicester City whereas Trevor won the Premier League with Everton and his former club take on Liverpool this weekend we'll be talking about that game as well as Chelsea versus West Ham and Sean Deitch's departure from Burnley plus some Eric Tenard chat too on that episode of the show so hit subscribe and you won't miss it and on Sunday Fergal Brennan will be back uh, looking back at the weekend's Premier League action I'm sure there'll be lots to uh, get stuck into there so make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss those but from myself Joel and Marley that is it for another week catch you next time here on Football Social Daily.
2: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
1: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.